that. So there's lots going on. Let's get to it. Uh, first, we're going to start in the Senate where Trudeau is appointing senators, right? Just before Christmas, Merry Christmas. And he says, meet your newest independent senators, Maureen McBean. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Paulette Sr. and Tony Verone. They bring with them a wealth of knowledge and experience, and I know they'll work hard for Canadians to learn more about them. Click here. And I've just got this one. Uh, Toronto developer Tony Verone, longtime Liberal Party donor, says Holly Doan is named a senator. Verone Group Incorporated, construction of North York, Ontario, donated $32,239 to party organizers, including Trudeau's leadership campaign. So they want to build houses. They don't want to deal with the immigration thing. They want to build houses. That's the solution they want to push. And so how do you how do you make sure that you can build houses, double housing or whatever? You get you make somebody a senator who's going to say, "Yes, sir, we can build those houses, sir. Definitely, sir. 100% we can build those houses. Make me a senator. Promise you. Here's 30,000 bucks." Wild. Linda from says it's been amusing, as well, not really amusing, to see the evolution of liberal narrative on their senator appointments, or on their Senate appointments. It's gone from indignant outrage that anyone could even suggest that they were appointing liberals, Bruce Anderson blocked me over this issue, <laughs> to just not giving a crap about the, the obvious BS of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty blatant, pretty in-your-face stuff. It's very interesting. Here's Donald Trump, and I thought this be, belonged here just to illustrate how plain we need to speak about what's going on with our government. He's talking about Joe Biden and the U.S. government, but I think the corruption and stuff maps well to Canada. Here's Donald Trump talking about Biden. It's no wonder crooked Joe Biden and the far-left lunatics are desperate to stop us by any means necessary. They are willing to violate the U.S. constitutions at levels never seen before in order to win this election. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. It's a threat. They're weaponizing law enforcement for high-level election interference because we're beating them so badly in the polls. It's no wonder crooked... I don't think that's far off either. And so he's talking about stacking the deck, um, weaponizing democracy, removing democracy through... Well, I've got further things talking about how um, the WEF system removes democracy. But he's talking about how they're changing things to hijack democracy. And what happened in Canada through the Senate is in the House of Commons, the, the CPC and the NDP and the bloc, I guess, got together and overrode the liberals to pass a bill that exempt the farmers from the carbon tax, Bill 234. It went, it passed the House of Commons, it went to the Senate. It languished in the Senate while the, the Senate passed internet censorship bills, C-11 and C-18. And fundamentally, that's insulting to Canadians, right? So you're going to ignore this bill that was passed by the House of Commons altogether and instead focus on these censorship bills. Okay, that's, I mean, that's not great, right? And then the Senate gutted Bill 234 at Trudeau's request and pressure, and that's how they're hijacking democracy in Canada. And I just think it's cogent, or I, th I think it's it's similar, it rhymes, it, it's part of the same song, right? The, the same people who are using the system of the United States to steal and, and hijack democracy are, are doing the same thing in Canada, just our system is a little different. And so they have to do it in a different way. And they have to, they have to, each person is an individual and everybody has their individual price, right? So 
that's it is what it is right uh so what works in the states might not work in canada but something else works in canada and i think that's what we're seeing moving on here's hamas saying thanks canada for all that support here he's not necessarily talking about the money he's talking about the calls for ceasefire but the calls for ceasefire put things back to the way they were the way they were led to the head like it got brought to a head on october 7th when the idf just didn't show up um when a whole bunch of hamas militants crossed the border um and wreaked havoc and, and did terror attacks etc cetera, etc cetera. which not great right not good you have to have questions about where was the government where's the idf all sorts of problems there about the response and all the rest of it nobody's launched investigations or, or anything to that effect but canada calling for ceasefire I don't think is good policy. I think we should keep out of it. It's not our it's not our war to fight. It's not our decision to make. And Canada sending money to Israel or to um, Palestine, that's a bad idea too because we're funding wars. Either side, we're funding wars, right? And I think that that's bad. We've got our own issues in our own country. We shouldn't be funding foreign Middle Eastern wars, period. Here's the Hamas guy saying, thanks Canada for calling for the ceasefire. Here we go by Canada, Australia, and New Zealand backing sustainable ceasefire in Gaza. We welcome these developments and consider them in the right direction toward isolation the fascist, fascist Israeli government globally and ending the longer ever occupation in our modern time. Finally, we call so that's moving on, right? He's, he's released a longer statement, but that's the part that has to do with Canada. Senator Ted Cruz took notice of that part in the speech. He's sharing this, but Stu Global has blocked me, which I think it's funny because I've never heard of Stu Global. So I think it's weird when people who I've never heard of block me. Um, but Senator Cruz in the States has said this is a, a disturbing comment on Canada's foreign policy. Sorry, I have, a, I have a little bit of a tickle in my throat, so I, I have to pause it and then cough and then go back to, to saying what I'm saying. So if it's a weird pause or if I stop talking and like pause it, it's probably because I have a cough coming and I don't want to cough on camera into the microphone. Apologies. Moving on just a little bit, we've got a grab bag of governance. Blake is talking about the NDP doing uh, the liberals' dirty work for them. Blake is a conservative MP for Banff, Airedale, and Cochrane, Canmore, and Crossfield. I think I got all those. Um, the NDP did Trudeau's dirty work and shut down the meeting. The NDP didn't want to interfere with their six weeks vacation and had a problem with working on Wednesday at 11 a.m. This is yesterday. The NDP is once again complicit in covering up liberal, a liberal scandal. And Blake Richards again says, emergency meeting on the political interference by the liberal government in the contact for the national monument to Canada's mission in Afghanistan. Now, I remember there was a big controversy about this national monument and people were really upset about it. And the, there was a dedication ceremony that nobody was invited to and it was done behind closed doors and all sorts. People were really, really pissed about how this whole thing was handled. And now we're finding out that there was political interference within all of that. I mean, again, I'm not surprised, but it's one of those things where the scandal was massive and it's amazing what they can keep under wraps it's incredible um a massive it was a medium scandal it wasn't massive headlines mm, medium headline if you watch this show you were outraged <laughs> dozens of us okay Am amazing zoltan says plagued by homelessness crime and food insecurity canada just sent 10 million dollars to iraq to help with youth unemployment i can't even yeah i can't even either Here's the CBC article making the case that investment in Iraqi youth 
is investment in Canada. In the first sentence, nearly $10 million in federal spending to support youth in Iraq will ultimately help Canada, International Development Minister Ahmed Hassan says, because the investment investment supports stability in the region overall. Okay. Our biggest focus in their Middle East strategy is Iraq, and the way Iraq goes is the way the rest of the region will go. Hassan made the announcement of $9.9 million in funding in Windsor, Ontario. Oh, I mean, why didn't you fly to Iraq? Right? Why isn't he making the announcement there? Iraqi youth, I'm from Canada, and we're here to give you $10 million. Hassan made the announcement, uh, oh yeah, in Windsor at St. Clair College. Now, the argument is if Canada invests $10 million in Iraq now, that will give youth in Iraq an opportunity to do something or other. I'm sure it's really, really cogent and well-developed in the whatever packet that comes with the cash, right? I'm sure, I'm sure there's an instruction manual with how to use it to maximize this money for Iraqi youth. But this is the theory, okay? So let's hang on to it. So the theory is you give these Iraqi youth $10 million. The Iraqi youth use that to build their skills so they become coders or something like that. And then instead of joining uh, some kind of radical organization and fighting in a war against Canada, the Iraqi youth make something of himself or herself and it doesn't join a war against Canada. That's, is, that, is that basically it? Is that kind of what I'm understanding here? So spending $10 million, like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, basically. I still think it's bullshit. I still think that's not a great argument for handing out $10 million to Iraqi youth to maybe, hopefully one day, turn them into coders or something like that. You know, like, it's not, is it Canada's job to do that? Are we doing that because the taxpayers want to do that? Are we doing that because Ahmed Hassan hates Canadians? Like, why are we doing this exactly? I'm not sure, but it seems stupid. Here's another stupid thing. Here's Guelph. Guelph. Uh, Guelph. It's where I live. And Guelph today is reporting Guelph's 24 property tax hike finalized at 8.52%. So it was at 10% and people said no. And now it's at 8.52% because they can't control more than that, they say. Um, We have a lot of city funds that go to woke initiatives and race-based things. And I think that there's a lot of pork. There's a lot of waste. We've had financial controllers come in, look at the mess, and then leave with big payouts. We've had city CEOs leave with big payouts. And people get upset about this kind of stuff, and then they get silenced. So Guelph is a really special place in a lot of ways. But this is a 33% tax hike on your property tax over the next four years. So that seems high. Don't you think? I think it seems high. I know Kingston's going the same way. Have a look at your property taxes. Are they going up a lot over the next few years? This is what's going on in Guelph, okay? Property taxes in Guelph are set to rise by... Whoa, I've got competition. I could just put... I could just hover over this thing. Sorry. Property taxes in Guelph. I'll I'll keep doing my job. We won't let the robots take over quite yet. Property taxes in Guelph are set to rise by 8.52% next year, followed by a similar increase in future years as City Council formalized its four-year budget during a special meeting on Wednesday. It's basically bang on the rate of inflation right now, Mayor Cam Guthrie said, of the portion of the budget within Council's control, which makes up 3.96% of the tax increase. This has been really, really tough. So they're they have to increase by the inflationary rate, which is 
And I think the inflation is higher than 4%. But anyway, in addition, the budget includes property tax hikes of 9.97% in 2025, 8.3% in 2026, and 7.3% in 2027, though council will meet each year to confirm the budget and potentially make changes. So each of these years, so the first year is painful. The second year is still high. By the last two years of this, it's going down 8.3 and 7.33 going down, right? And so when you go into an election year, you've got two years of, I mean, I think 8% is still really high. Like it's a really high increase. And what are you getting from this, right? Like we've got 10 cities. We've got 10, I was at Costco yesterday in Guelph and at the top of the hill in Guelph, Costco's like at the bottom of a berm for whatever reason, there's a giant berm at the, at the one side of the um, parking lot. And I don't know if it's a farmer's field on the other side or what it is, but anyway, it's a huge berm. It's taller than the building, right? And at the top of this berm was a tent. And I pulled into the parking lot and I thought, jeepers creepers, like what the heck is going on? And I know that that's not the only encampment in Guelph, but it's insane that this is still ongoing. And and everybody's like, oh, property tax is going up by 8%. Yeah, they, I guess I guess they're doing a good enough job to to warrant all of these higher rates, et cetera. What? Like... We're handing money over for diversity and equity initiatives that that are discriminatory against white people and males and anybody who speaks out and says, this is insane. Like we are funding that with these nonsense increases. And so I don't know how to fight back against that properly because to fight back against that properly is to, um, well, I mean, if you, if you look at history, it's to disobey these illegal orders and to reestablish a government that represents its citizens correctly instead of this government that clearly does not, right? And so how do you do that? There are books out there that are um, guidebooks on how to do that or how historically that has been done. But again, there's a stigma to reading them. So moving on. <laughs> Brian says, in 2022, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited Canada seeking energy. He was turned away by our prime minister who questioned the business case for supplying LNG to Europe. Here's what Canada missed. Germany has also entered into significant LNG supply deals with Qatar. Um, everybody who's interested in oil, Canada Poly, Alberta Poly, please like and share. So Germany signs a $55 billion natural gas deal with Equinor. Darn, $55 billion with a B? I mean, just imagine, just imagine how many jobs that would bring, right? If we had an LNG terminal where you could fill up a ship at will, like we can fill it up as fast as you can get it to get it to our ports. Bring it on. You know, we'll, we'll supply the world with LNG, sure, right? Why not? But instead, Justin Trudeau flubbed it because he's an idiot. Uh, no, sorry. I, I don't want to undermine what he's doing because he handles the acting part of being prime minister well. He's quick on his feet. He, he answers questions in a way that a lot of people can look past. And the, when, the times that he doesn't, when he says like people kind and things like that, they just gloss over. It doesn't get reported, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the handlers, his handlers, uh, are, are pretty good at driving a wedge. And the wedge keeps people fighting back and forth rather than critically, critically looking at the results of, of what this criminal government is doing. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so Justin Trudeau is, is whether, well, the people who manage Justin Trudeau are doing a good job at managing Justin Trudeau and keeping Canadians off balance enough to make the 
election manipulation that I think is rampant through all sorts of through mail-in ballots, through advertising limitations that shouldn't be there, and through all sorts of prosecution, persecution of, of people who are uh, just trying to, well, get their, their ideas out there, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you look at history, all the same stuff. It's happened before and it's going to happen again too. Um, anyway, this is one thing that happened and then she deleted the post. So this is Lily Chang, and she's a Toronto city councillor, I think. And she says, this body bag, and it's a pink body bag. <laughs> this is a real tweet from yesterday. I had it, I had it tagged for, to show you guys. And I thought it was hilarious because it's, it's so... <laughs> the picture is funny for many different reasons. But anyway, she says, this body bag, and it's pink. It's pink. So the, the pink body bag was commissioned by Aura Freedom, whose vision is a world in which all women and girls live free from violence. And the replies and people's comments about it were funny and just, you know, I mean, lots of people riff, right? There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of comedy that is now gone because the post is deleted, so I can't access any of it anyway, um, which is unfortunate. But um, Michelle, or what's, her, what's her name? Oh, what's her, I can't remember her name. The mayor of, the mayor of Toronto, Olivia Chow. I was going to say Michelle Chow, and I was like, that's not it, <laughs> Michelle Chow. Olivia Chow. Olivia Chow kind of looks nonplussed, but she always looks like that. Like, is she smiling or is she just kind of... And the rest of them, they're all really smiling big for this body bag and everybody's touching the body bag. And it seems really, it seems very, very strange. The messaging behind the whole thing, it's just funny. I don't understand what they were going for, but they missed. And they missed enough that they had to delete the tweet. So it's funny. Um, Moving on. There's an election coming. I'm sure there's an election coming. And here is, so Pierre Polyev did a year-end interview with True North, and he did one with Rex Murphy, and he did one with Brian Lilly. And I guess Trudeau did uh, one that's going to air Christmas Day, which that's pretty self-important, right? Like, holy smoke, dude. But anyway, regardless of that, um, these guys, the liberal third liners. So I think the first line of, if you're talking hockey and the liberals, the first line of the liberals is like Trudeau and Freeland. The second line of the liberals is Karina Gould. It used to be like Anthony Housefather and Omar Agabra, but not anymore. I wonder why those two have had a falling out. Um, And then you've got, and then you've got these guys, Mark Gerritsen, who's the biggest clown in in the house of commons. And I I can't remember this guy's name and I don't really care, but is this Mark Holland? Um, Anyway, third stringers. Right, these guys are the the third stringers who nobody really cares about, and they're like, "I know you're in government, but you bother me as much as everybody else too." Here's a minute where the reporter says, "Why are we here? Are we here because you're upset that Pierre Polyev had some like good interviews? Like, is that what's going on?" And he tries to they're they're trying to claim the narrative about what Polyev is doing. It's just interesting to watch because this is politicking. This, this is politicking, right? This is trying to kneecap your opponent. Here we go. What's your issue here? That he did some friendly interviews? Mr. I, Mr. I'm just confused as to why we're here and why we're listening and doing this. Mr. Polyev has spent the last three days giving these fuzzy, comfy little interviews in safe spaces for him. Which That's all very nice for him. Soit aucun en français à date. On va donner la chance au coureur. Aucun en français. But Mr. Polyev has spent the last three days giving these fuzzy, and what we thought was, oh, a long-form interview. An hour here, a half hour there. We're going to hear some plans. We're going to hear some specifics. But yet, Mr. Polyev comes forward with the same tired tropes that Mr. Gerritsen and I listened to for four, and all of you listened to, every day for the last four months. 
leading in every public opinion poll then for, for almost <laughs> more than almost a year you know now. You what Diefenbaker said, right? Polls are for dogs and uh, there's going to be an election at some point in the future. We're going to be very happy and very confident to put our, our plans and our specifics in front of Canadians and let Mr. Polyev try and get away uh, with, uh, with these tropes and these tire tropes that he's involved in. So this was from, like, that was a short clip from a, a much longer, like a 15-minute presser that him and Mark Gerritsen gave. And I don't, I don't think that was actually Mark Holland, but I could be wrong, so apologies about that. But um, the, the presser, I didn't last more than 10 minutes, and I thought, this is a, an absolute mess. It was just a mess. It didn't, it wasn't cohesive. The, these guys were, comba like, the, the liberals themselves were combative. They weren't convincing. The, the press was skeptical as you heard and it's interesting as well when the press is skeptical and and saying like he's he's leading in every opinion poll like what are you talking about and the other part um polls are for dogs i thought that's interesting too right the polls are for dogs when the liberals are at 57 seats i guess hmm. i don't know holly doan says although make no mistake polls do not reflect the public opinion polls reflect polls are meant to influence public opinion that's what they're that's what they're designed to do. Holly Doan says, minister used misleading data. Let's move on to electric vehicles. Misleading data in defending cabinet's electric car mandate. Environment Canada records show department acknowledges banning sale of gas vehicles will cost billions for drivers and disproportionately impact the working poor. So these, these are the first salvos of the fight over banning electric cars or banning gas cars, excuse me, um, in favor of electric cars or 100% electric fleet on the road, which is, it's not possible. It is, if, if we have, if Canada has only electric cars on, on our roadways, we will have many, much fewer, by factors of like five or 10 cars, probably more than that uh, on the road, because there is not the capacity to build the electric cars that, to, to replace all the cars on the road, period. Maybe you could replace all the car cars on the road in Canada, but then I don't think you'd be able to replace all the cars on the road anywhere else. Um, I, there's just a, a finite amount of material you can extract. Danielle Smith says, do you agree with the federal government's decision to ban gas vehicles and force consumers to buy EVs? And no gets 91%, yes gets 9%. So 40,000 votes on Danielle Smith's poll and six hours left. So it's it's looks like a resounding no. And I don't think the government is going to be able to get away with it. I really, I don't think they're going to be able to get away with it. So we'll see how this fight develops because again, we're just at the beginning. Edmonds bought a Chevy Blazer EV. It isn't going well. So Edmonds, these guys are as reputable as you can get, I guess. They're, they're pretty robust in their tests. And as far as I've, from the reading that I've done and purchases I've made after reading their stuff, they've been pretty good. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt because not everybody has the same experience, but I've had good experiences reading about cars that I was serious about buying from Edmund. So I, I am inclined to trust them. So there's my bias. And so they bought this Chevy Blazer EV, right? So the Chevy Blazer EV was brand new. They purchased the car to test it out, give it a robust test. So they use it and they use it for all sorts of different things. And this is absolutely shocking. This is another reason why this industry is not going to work. Okay. It's just, it's not going to take off because people aren't going to buy these crap cars. It says, what's the definition of insanity again? Edmunds.com is among the few automotive publications that actually buys its long-term test vehicles. Uh, which gives them a greater selection of vehicles from which to test. 
And that includes many new-to-the-market electric vehicles, including multiple Teslas, Lucid Air, and the original Chevy Bolt EV. But they have been among the first to own as well as test. It has historically not gone well. I worked there when the original Tesla Model S passed through the long-term garage. It had by far the most problems of any long-term car to that point. Subsequent Teslas as well as the Air were rife with problems too. The Bolt was hardly trouble-free, albeit to a lesser extent. One could therefore deduce, albeit from the small sample size, that being among the earliest adopters of a new EV model isn't the wisest move. Nevertheless, Edmunds is among the first to own a 2024 Chevrolet Blazer EV, and it's not going well. You can find the full post here, and it's interesting to read if you're interested in that. I'm not interested in buying the EV. I just wanted to tell you how badly it's doing. In short, the car erupted with error messages during a drive from Los Angeles to San Diego. When they took it to a dealer, they received the single longest list of major faults we at Edmonds have ever seen on a new car. Edmonds includes the entirety of this, its list in its post along with a full rundown of what happened. In the original version of the post, I wrote that one hopes this is a rare occurrence. But shortly after publishing, I received an email from a person who stated that they've been having similar issues with their recently purchased Blazer EV. He said that he's talked with the other owners who have reported the same or other issues. Quote, I currently have mine in the shop for three weeks, owned it five days prior, five days, with no end in sight, wrote Andrew K. Today, today's update from the dealer confirms the replacement module will not sync with the vehicle, and there's no fix at this time. The car is officially inoperable and worse than when I brought it in. I'm not a computer programmer, so this thing's supposed to sync when I push this button and this button, and then when I do those things, nothing happens, so it doesn't work. That's going to be great. So we're going to be waiting in in long wait lists to get a car. After you own it for five days, it's going to break and you're going to take it into the dealer and they're not going to be able to fix it. So, woo. CTV News is reporting, beware costs and logistics of at-home chargers before buying an electric vehicle. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that report here in just a minute. But um, that's what Rex is responding to. He says, a car dealer friend of mine who sells EVs tells me they're so swamped with calls and complaints from new EV owners that they're now telling their customers to keep a regular car, a regular car, like a gas car, while they learn how to manage all the travel issues with owning an EV. So we regret selling this to our customers. And we, because usually when you make a, when you sell somebody a car, they don't call you within the first year and say the car doesn't have well work unless it's an EV, right? Here, if you want to charge at home, so this is this is a prepper for beware the costs of lo- and logistics of at-home chargers, okay? Because people don't think about the cost of charging. Think about the cost of your total, your, your monthly total housing bill, okay? And this guy is talking about the fast chargers, the public fast chargers, and how much energy they use. It's a minute 31, well worth the time to consider just how much energy we're going to need and just how expensive it's going to be because it's not like energy is cheap in Ontario or across Canada at this point in time, right? So here's here's this guy making this great point. Hey, I'm just doing a quick little video here just to give people an idea of how much energy it takes to charge an electric vehicle. I'm at Electrify America. This is a 350 kilowatt station. I'm consuming roughly 137 kilowatts It'll fluctuate. Sometimes I can go up to the full 350. But to put this into perspective, an average home consumes 1.25 kilowatts per hour. 135 
kilowatts per hour, it's like the equivalent of 106 homes on the grid, just this one station. Now, if I was gonna get the full 350 kilowatts like these can supply, that would be the equivalent of 280 homes. Now think about all six chargers running at full capacity. That's like 1,080 homes on the grid. Just a little food for thought. It's, it's things people don't realize the amount of energy it takes to fast charge these batteries. It's, it's a huge amount of electricity. And now you understand why the electric companies can't even supply that much power to one spot. It's like, think of 1,600 homes and how much copper and wire that would take to, to supply that many houses. Pretty wild stuff, right? So one of, one of the other things, um, well, here's, here's the other part of this. If you're charging at home, then you're not going to get that much bandwidth bandwidth is the wrong term but like if you've got a straw that is only capable of delivering 50 megawatts or whatever it were kilowatts kill probably kilowatts um then you can't get 200 because the straw is only big enough for a limited amount so you're going to be limited right there's going to be a, a, a limit because of the size that you can put into your home and and you're going to know that the electrician's going to normalize that oh yeah that's normal 25 kilowatts an hour yeah that's great but that's still a lot right hello everyone thanks very much for watching this is just a short version of a longer show if you'd like to get the whole show you can go over to canadapoly.com and sign up for a subscription just look in the drop down tab for shop and donate and look for subscriptions and you'll get immediate access to the full show love to see you thanks for watching everybody have a wonderful wonderful